Uh, last uh, Thursday, January 31st, was the anniversary of the birth, the 100th anniversary of the birth of Jackie Robinson. Uh, I'm, not sh- uh, I'm sure a lot of you know something about him, but maybe not anybody, not, maybe not everybody. So, Jackie Robinson was the guy, was the first African-American uh, to play Major League Baseball in the modern era. He was the one who broke the color barrier in baseball. So, just to set the context, on April 15, 1947, when Jackie Robinson put on the Brooklyn Dodgers uniform and stepped out onto the field, that was a year before President Truman ordered the U.S. military to be desegregated. It was seven years before the U.S. Supreme Court rendered its decision in Brown versus Board of Education. It was eight years before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus. It was 10 years before President Eisenhower used the U.S. military to enable the Little Rock Nine to attend Central High School in Arkansas. It was 16 years before MLK's I Have a Dream speech in 1963. It was 17 years before the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964 and 18 years before the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Jackie Robinson was a trailblazer. Martin Luther King said of him that back in the days when integration wasn't fashionable, he understood the trauma and humiliation and the loneliness which comes with being a pilgrim walking the lonesome, lonesome byways toward the high road of freedom. He was a sit-inner before there were sit-ins, a freedom rider before freedom rides. Jackie Robinson took a sledgehammer to a segment of America's original sin, slavery. Now, in doing that, he encountered racism in its nastiest expressions. Racial taunts and slurs, insults on the playing field and off, character assassination, people saying things about him, writing things about him that weren't even remotely true, trying to destroy his reputation. He was, there was violent targeting on the field. One of the, he played second base among other positions, and they would come in with spikes high trying to hurt him. He had death threats, and they were serious death threats. Chris Lamb, one of the folks who did a lot of research writing about this period, said, in uh, writing about uh, Robinson's first spring training as a Brooklyn Dodger in 1946, said, he had to deal with 10 kinds of awful indignities every day, and it got so bad that Robinson's wife delayed telling him that she was pregnant because she didn't think he could handle the news. He did, he put his life on the line and endured intense, vicious, unrelenting pressure. Now, Lamb continued doing research and and he said in in a book that he wrote, I kept wondering all these years what kept Robinson together. And then he said, finally, I realized what I missed before. I realized what I missed before. 
The core came from above. The core came from above. What Lamb discovered was that Jackie Robinson was a person of deep, abiding, real faith in Jesus Christ. And it was that faith that sustained him. Robinson himself said, I had a lot of faith in God. There's nothing like faith in God to help a fellow who gets booted around once in a while. He got more than booted around once in a while, but it was God's grace that upheld him. He knew that God was his helper. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Very few of us face the kinds of horrific attacks that Jackie Robinson faced, but all of us experience attacks and trials and traumas in this life. Life in this world is full of hazards. It's full of hazards. We're going to be looking at Psalm 124 today. It's part of our longer series on the Songs of Ascent. And Psalm 124 is about the hazards of life, but even more about the God who is our helper, the one who looks out for us, who's on our side, who rescues us. Now, I'm, I'm about to read the psalm for us, and it's in, on page 441 of the Pew Bibles in front of you, most of the Pew Bibles in front of you. But as I read it, pay attention to four words that I'm going to use. If, when, then, and so. The first two words are in our NIV text, the, uh, the if and when. The, uh, then, that's in, the word then is in the Hebrew text, but not in our NIV text but it's, it's in the Hebrew. And the word so I'm adding because I think it's implied in the text, okay? So Psalm 124. If, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. Then the flood would have engulfed us. Then the torrent would have swept swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. So praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken. And we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Eugene Peterson, who wrote a book on the Psalms of Ascent, writes, the first lines of this psalm describe God is on our side. The last line is our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The whole idea of this psalm is that God is on our side. He is with us and he is for us. He wants to help us and he can help us. That's the big idea. If God had not been on our side when we were under attack, and here's the thing, it's not if we came in under attack, it's when all of us are face, face attacks throughout our lives. Maybe not right now, but throughout our lives we're going to face a lot of attacks. If God had not been on our side, and we faced some already, if God had not been on our side when we were on our side, then we would have been swallowed up alive. 
We would have been swept away in a flood. We would have been ensnared in a trap. But, here's the good news. But God is on our side. So what's our proper response? It's to bless the Lord. It's to give him our fullest trust and devotion. It's to give him our joyful obedience and gratitude and praise. That's the whole sermon right there. You can take a nap now if you want. Now, what David is doing in this psalm is he's engaging in holy imagination. And he's asking us to do it, to use our imaginations, to think back to the attacks and the traumas that have come to us as a result of living in a fallen, broken world. And to think about what would have happened to us if God had not been on our side to help us through them. And here's a side note to that. I know in my own life, God, as I look back on my life, I know I can see so many ways that God helped me, delivered me, rescued me before I even knew that God was on my side, before I, I had ever given my life to Christ. I think that's true of all of us. God does things for us, and we have no idea he did them. But the reason that we can sit here this morning in this place is because God took us through stuff. I'll come back to that. Now, David in the psalm describes where we'd be without God's help by means of three illustrations. He talks about people being in danger of being swallowed up alive, about being in danger of being swept away in a flood, drowned, and about being ensnared in a trap that they can't get out of. And Eugene Peterson says about that first one, about the, the being swallowed up alive, he, he uses the image, he's, it's a picture, he says, of an enormous dragon or a sea monster. And he says, dragons are the projections of our fears, the horrible constructions of all that might hurt us. So I'm going to ask you to use your holy imaginations right now. Think of the thing you're most afraid of happening to you and about how you would feel if, in fact, that worst thing did happen to you. For me, the worst thing that I can think of would be something happened to one of my kids. Now, I have kind of a foretaste of what I would feel like if something like that happened. Uh, I have a son and three daughters. My youngest daughter, Jenna, graduated from college a couple of years ago, and then she went overseas on a mission trip. She was gone for a bunch of months. And I remember one night in late October, my wife, Les, and I got a call from Jenna. And she said on the phone, we could barely hear her. She said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then the phone went dead. And um, we tried calling back and nobody picked up. And we tried again and again and again, dozens and dozens and dozens of times calling, and the phone, nobody picked up the phone. And, and our imagination, my imagination at least, was going crazy. It was going wild. And I was saying, 
What's going on with my daughter? What's happening to my baby girl? And we're praying, trying to pray, praying. And this is when I'm so glad that Scripture says God hears our groans, even when we can't put into words. Because I didn't even know how to talk, how to pray about what was happening, what I was feeling inside, what we were feeling inside. And I'm pretty sure that if God hadn't been there with his hand on us, that I would have gone out of my mind. Because it was like a day and a half before we finally heard. It was 30 hours or so before we finally heard something about what happened. She was taken to an emergency room. And uh, doctors were working on her. And she was able to call after those 30 hours or so and say, I'm in a hospital. And uh, for the next several months, she was in and out of emergency rooms. They couldn't help, they couldn't heal her. So she finally came home, and it took about a year after she got home before she was pretty much well. But she was home. And I just keep thinking back, oh God, thank you for helping us. Thank you for being on our side. I'm guessing that there are a number of folks here in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about. You felt like you were going to be swallowed up alive by the horrors of life. David uses a second image as well. He uses the image of a flood. And this was, he's talking about something that happened a lot in that time where he was. That, you know, there would be sudden rain, there would be rains that come, they would fill up gullies and so forth, they would overflow fast, and people were, in fact, swept away. They were swept away. The floods came, they weren't ready for them, they came kind of, Eugene Peterson talks about them as being unannounced catastrophes. You know, you're, you're kind of rolling through life, everything you know, seems good, one minute you're well and happy and you're, you're making plans for the future and then boom, the flood comes and, and it kind of overturns your whole life, knocks you over on your, on your head. Your life is disarranged by an unannounced catastrophe. It could be you know, a stroke or a heart attack or a bad car accident or an a, a unexpected job loss or some kind of really bad family trauma or some huge bill that came and you, you just don't know what to do and it sweeps you. And without God, without God, life can just sweep you away. Without God, there's, there's no escaping really with your soul intact. Without, with your soul whole and at peace. I know that there are probably some folks who kind of felt a little bit of this with the federal government shutdown. I have a brother who was furloughed, and you know, for, it's a little scary. I'm glad the government's in operation again. But even, even th- though it was short, not, not short in the way it felt, but um, there's a lot that can happen in a few weeks. Yeah, so thanks be to God that it started. But the thing, the big illustration that came, came to me is um, uh, my wife Leslie's uh, parents, uh, you know, they're one of God's gifts to me. Uh, they're tremendous people, but 
They, uh, we called them Nana and Papa. Nana and Papa had six kids. My wife, Leslie, was one of them, obviously. Um, and uh, they were teachers. So they did okay, but money was tight. So they scrimped and saved throughout their whole lives, uh, caring for their kids and just paying the bills. But they, they, they kept saying to us, when, you know, at a certain point, when our kids are grown up and out of the house and we're retired, we're going to do some stuff we've always wanted to do. We're going to do some traveling. We're gonna, we're just, they, had some, they, they were starting to make plans and dream dreams about what they would do when they retired. Leslie's mom uh, retired when she was 65, and her uh, papa decided he was going to work a, a year or two longer. But they were, they were making, actively making their plans for that point. And then Leslie's mom got diagnosed with ALS, with Lou Gehrig's disease. And three years later, she died. The, Disease took its course, destroyed her body. Her mind was intact, was sharp, but it destroyed her body. They never got to do the things that they'd been dreaming about planning for. They never got to do them. But here's the thing. This was an unannounced catastrophe. And it really changed the direction of their lives but it didn't destroy their souls. It didn't destroy their souls. Nana knew that Jesus was with her, and really, she was ready to go. She was truly at peace and ready to go. And her biggest concern was that we would be ready to let her go. And whenever we were together as family, she would still, until she couldn't smile anymore, she would smile. Jenna told me a story last night, daughter of Jenna told me, that she remembers she she was learning how to tie her shoe, and Nana was in the midst of the ALS. She couldn't move anymore, but she could still smile and, and kind of mouth words. Jenna had learned how to tie her shoes, so she was tying her shoe to show her Nana, and Nana mouth, Jenna, I'm so proud of you. Jenna, I'm so proud of you. And Jenna still remembers that. And that, what I remember is what she would ask of me is just pray. She would ask me to pray, and she would sit there and let me pray over her. And she would be serene. I don't know how she could have done this and how Leslie's dad and even our whole family would have gone through this with our souls intact if God hadn't been with us to hold us together and to hold us up. And a lot of you know something about that as well. And then David talks about a third kind of hazard of life. He talks about, he uses the image of a bird trapped in a net. You know, we have an enemy who wants to lure us into a trap. That's what the devil does. 
And time and again, he lures us into places that we really don't want to be in. And we're not even sure how we got there, but we're there. And we can't get out on our own. But there is, but God is with us. And he breaks even the traps that we let ourselves get into. He provides a way of escape. See, David in this psalm is not talking about the good life. He's not talking about strolling through life without anything hard or hazardous or bad happening to you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that life is hard. Things do happen. And David had gone through the worst. He had experienced the dragon's mouth and the flood's torrent, the trapper's snare. He'd experienced that uh, all of that, and yet he finds himself intact. He's not abandoned, but helped. The final strength is not in the dragon or in the flood, but in the God who didn't go off and leave us, is what David is saying. And I can say with absolute confidence that that's the testimony of my life. God has saved me. He's rescued me. He's protected me. He's done that repeatedly in every way imaginable. He's done that physically. He's done it emotionally, relationally, spiritually. He's done it in this life, and I know it's going to be true through all of eternity. He's kept me from being swallowed up by, the, by enraged enemies, and I've had some folks who've been enraged and after me. He has kept me from being swept away by the trials and traumas that come through from being in this life. He's sprung me when I was trapped in lies, deceptions, hurts, my sins. God has been my helper through it all. So let me ask you, let me ask you, can you believe that God really is on your side? Can you believe it when, even when you screw up, you know you've screwed up and you're wondering if God still cares? Can you believe it when people come against you and they seem like they're winning? Can you believe it when bad things really happen, when, when things like cancer or divorce or f- family trauma come or when, you know, Life just hammers at you. Um, Can you believe all that? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? There are times when we're condemned by other people. Sometimes we condemn ourselves. But who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, 
is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here lists a whole bunch of possible enemies and tragedies that could come against a person. And he says, none of them, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, where did Paul's list come from? Think about that. Did he just pull it out of the air? Is it just a stretch of his imagination? No. These are things that Paul experienced, almost all of them that Paul experienced personally. He experienced them. And through it all, he experienced God's presence and love and help so that he could say, my soul is intact. My life is good. Now, how do we know that God is for us? Let's go back to what he said. That Paul writes in Romans 8. God sent his son to die for our sins. He did not withhold his only son. He gave him up for us all. That should say a whole lot to us about the love of God for us. You think that God, having given him up his son, is now going to bring charges against you? No, our God is the one who has declared us free from all condemnation. He's not going to bring judgment or condemnation against us now. He's the one, Jesus is the one who's interceding for us before the Father. Making sure that we're not condemned. So let's go to the three questions that are in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul says, no one. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Again, no one has the right authority to do that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. No one, nothing. Paul here is using the kind of a image of a court of law. And so you're in the court of law and you're the one on trial. And God, the Father, is the judge. And the prosecuting attorney stands up, the devil. And he looks at the judge and then he looks at you and he sticks out his, his long bony finger and he says, guilty, 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 you're guilty. You've done this and this and this and that. And then he looks at the judge, God the Father, and he says, they're guilty and they deserve the ultimate punishment. They deserve death. But then, 
the defense attorney, Jesus, stands up. And he looks at the judge, and he looks at the devil, the prosecuting attorney, and he looks at us. He says, you know, what the devil says is true. It's all true. But here's the thing. All that debt has been paid for. It's been paid for in full. It's been paid for in full. And they are free to go. We have been freed. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And nothing can make God not want to help us in our struggles and trials and traumas. God is with us. Eugene Peterson writes, we speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk that shapes our days. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It is the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, risk that shapes our days. So let me go back and talk for a moment again about the Lord who is our help. The word translated as Lord in Psalm 124 is the Hebrew word Yahweh. In Exodus 3, when God reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself to Moses as Yahweh. God's personal name, Yahweh. And the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh means that he is the one who exists, who is with his people, and who wants to be known. Yahweh is not some impersonal cosmic force. He's not some distant, disengaged deity like some people think. Instead, Yahweh is our personal God, the God who is personal, who's made himself personal to us. He's engaged with us. He's with us. He's committed to us. That same word Yahweh is used in Exodus, in, throughout the book of Exodus and throughout the Bible, actually. It's, it's, it's used when God is establishing covenant with his people. It's, it's what God uses when he makes sacred, unbreakable vows to his people. That's what Yahweh does. He makes sacred, unbreakable vows. In Exodus 32, Moses up at the top of Mount Sinai, and he's talking with God, and God is revealing and explaining the law that, that will govern Israel's life. He's explaining and giving that to Moses. The people below, they start to panic because Moses is upstairs for a while, and what do they do? They had made promises that they would be, that they would be God's people. And they start to panic. So what do they do? They make a golden calf and they start worshiping before this idol, this golden calf, in detestable, really grotesque ways. So they're on the bottom of the mountain doing all this crazy pagan worship stuff. 
even after they've said, yeah, we'll follow, Yahweh. we'll follow Yahweh. Yahweh and Moses are up at the top of the mountain, and Yahweh sees this. What does he do? He makes vows. He continues to make his vows. God sees this. He knows it's happening, but it doesn't make him walk away. It doesn't make him turn his back. It's as if Yahweh is saying to Moses, I, Yahweh, take you, Moses, I, Yahweh, take you, Israel, to be my people for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. He's making those kinds of, like, wedding vows in the midst of his people's unfaithfulness. Our unfaithfulness, our failure, do not cause Yahweh to break his vows to us. Our sins do not separate us from the love of God in Christ. Our sins actually press God into action to make things right. In Exodus chapter 20, it's written, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God wants to bring us out of the house of slavery into true freedom. Where do you need the Lord's help? What is your house of slavery? Maybe it's a crippling, it's a physical ailment, a financial crisis, some kind of abiding grief. Maybe it's a crippling shame or guilt or abuse. Maybe it's a destructive habit or addiction. It could be a lot of stuff. But here's what you need to know. You need to really know this, because it's true. God is your helper. He wants to lead you out of all the things that hem you in. All the things that hold you, hold us captive. He wants to rescue you from all of the forces that are trying to destroy you. So will you ask him for help? Will you let him help you? Last week, Pastor Tom said, a life lived in the service of a great and merciful God, motivated by love and gratitude, is the truest freedom for the human spirit. Our God wants to free us from the house of slavery into the house of salvation as his sons and daughters. So will you trust that he's on your side and do what he says? Will you find your freedom in loving and serving him? God is with us. God is for us. God is our helper. We will not be swallowed up in sin or failure or death. God is on our side. Let the Journeys Church say, God is on our side. Let's say it. God is on our side. Praise be to the Lord. Our, our help is in the name of the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray.